Welcome to the Ascension Business Network. You are listening to the Leadership and Transformation Podcast Series. Our program is sponsored by Ascension Transformation Solutions, your business transformation technology partner. Steve Rayner will be your host for today's program. Ken Nishi has been in the food industry for over 40 years, holding a variety of executive positions with some of the best-known food brands. Ken served as Director of Operations at Nabisco and Vice President of Operations at Beatrice Foods, Michael Foods, Columbus, Bioplex Nutrition, and Boyd's Coffee, and as Chief Operating Officer at Vitalis Nutrition. Ken has been involved in a number of dramatic transformations of workplace practices and culture change, leading to dramatic improvements in bottom-line performance. With me is Bill Belgard, and we plan on exploring with Ken his experiences as a transformative leader. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Steve. Ken, you've had uh, a, a number of different positions uh, with, a, uh, as we mentioned in the intro, with some of the best-known brands, uh, and you've been uh, through that process, kind of gone through a journey of learning about how to transform organizations. I'd like to kind of start at the beginning, uh, back in your days in Nabisco in the uh, 90s. What was sort of the situation facing Nabisco then, and and what did you learn from your experiences in uh, trying to change things at Nabisco? Okay, so uh, prior to becoming director of operations at Nabisco, um, after the experience of closing a plant in the California with Nabisco, I was transferred over to the Indianapolis plant, which was producing margarine, and I was in the position as a plant manager. Um, This margarine plant had approximately 200 team members um, working there. Um, It was a unionized uh, facility. Um, And there, when I walked into the situation, there was a significant distrust with management and even distrust even with the union um, representation uh, from the from the team members at the plant. Um, so so my predecessor, um, well, let me back up a little bit. So I tried, I was assigned to go in there and to um, try to build a um, some sort of team process within that plant uh, because of it was so dysfunctional. Uh, due to the distrust with management as well as the union representation. Uh, My predecessor um, had started a um, high-performance team concept in one section of the plant, um, thinking that that was a way to start um, a transformation process with the 200 team members in the plant. Um, It was an island-to-nation approach that... um, um, really did not work um, with the dysfunctionality in the plant and the and the team members. Um, it created so much noise within the organization on that one part of the plant that um, it was not successful. And after um, one year of trying to make the high performance team concept work, um, I had to disband that or break that up and just go back to a traditional method of managing that plant. Um, At that time, that was when I was first introduced to Bill Balgard and his um, team concepts as well as his leadership skills process. Um, And despite the fact that it didn't work, Bill and I did a lot of consulting to 
decide to um, disband that group. Um, the so I, I had to shift my focus um, in working with the team members and building a high performance team process to work with Bill in developing the leadership of um, the ops leadership team um, where I could make a difference and then they could make a difference in the, into the rest of the plant. And, and Ken, what, when you say it, it, it didn't work or, or it failed, was the team itself not performing at a higher level or was it really the interaction with the other teams that created some of the problems and issues? The team had the right motivation and the right focus to work within their own. It was one line out of uh, 10 lines in the plant, I think it was, um, that this concept was tried. And so the pressure from their peers was so significant that it created problems on a daily basis, really. I mean, that may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but really on a daily basis. And then it created so much noise uh, that the rest of the plant wasn't functioning um, to the degree that it was uh, supposed to be. If you were to sort of highlight some of your learning from that from that experience, uh, what were some things you really pulled out of it? It was really that that island to nation approach. Um, you can't drive a transformation process in one segment, or I shouldn't say can't, it's very, very difficult and challenging to take one part of the plant, um, a small part of a plant um, or an organization and try to make a transformation process work um, when you're, where the pressures are just uh, so high that it makes it fail. Now, you, you, went, you went from that experience uh, to, uh, uh, Michael Foods, you're the vice president of operations there. And I mean, take us through some of the facts and figures there, because I mean, the, the transformation in Michael Foods is really quite extraordinary. And take us through kind of uh, what you were able to achieve bottom line, and then maybe tell us a little bit about the process you went through to achieve that. And this one, this one, Ken, was, uh, was a uh, private equity, there were private equity firms involved in the process and there were there were several rounds of financing and, and this added an extra de degree of complexity and a lot of other flux, but you were able to manage all that. You might want to say something about the, um, about the, the private equity uh, turns and that you guys went through during the process because a number of companies are going through that as well. So, so I joined a one division of Michael Foods, which was the largest division. It was the egg division, and it was a large division within Michael Foods. Um, my responsibility was with five uh, manufacturing plants that produced egg products in all different forms. Um, Michael Foods also had a, another egg division, um, and it was called the Papetis, that they purchased three years prior to me joining the company. Um, the Petties was based on the East Coast and MG Walbaum was based in the Midwest. Uh, the Papetti organization had uh, three, four manufacturing plants on the East Coast. So I had the responsibility of five Midwestern plants and then Papetti's had four uh, manufacturing plants on the East Coast producing like products. Um, they. The Papetti's 
uh, organization was still ran by the Pipetti family, whereas the M.G. Walbaum side was uh, run uh, by a separate organization or a separate division. Uh, there were many attempts, I should say several attempts in three years prior to me joining the company of integrating the two divisions as one aid company or working together as one aid company. And those attempts were, they failed drastically because the family run business on the Papetti side looked as at Michael Food as the big bad corporate guys trying to make uh, change and completely change their um, their processes, but more importantly, their organization um, that um, they were very sensitive about. And so um, they held on to their traditional way of managing their business um, on that on the on the Papetti side. So after 12 months of building capabilities within the five plants within MG Wallbaum, uh, the president of the A of my uh, who I reported to. Um, sat me down and told me that my new assignment or new challenge was to integrate the two um, egg division operations teams um, into one. I frankly looked at him and in kind words told him he's got to be kidding me because um, I was not given the responsibility to um, manage the um, egg division uh, with Pipettis. Uh, Papetti's had their own VP of operations, who was the son of the founder of Papetti's A Company. And so I had to take this on without having the direct um, responsibility of overseeing those four plants or those the operations team, in, uh, excuse me, in the East Coast. Um, he didn't care. He just told me, I don't care how you do it. You're going to find a way to integrate and drive synergies within the organization across the two across the two divisions. Um, that's when I re-engaged with Bill Belgard. Um, I told him I needed help to find a way to create this transformation process of the two egg divisions. Um, and we, um, uh, Bill came in, and we we were in my office on the whiteboard, just him and I for three solid days developing a transformation process um, from the ground up, basically. And I think the, the, the biggest key for me there was Bill didn't walk in with a textbook and open the textbook up and say, here you go, Ken, just follow this. Um, it was literally building this transformation process from the ground up on the whiteboard. I'm not sure, Bill, how many times we read jiggered that process on the whiteboard, but uh, it had to be several times that we did that. I, I think, I think, Ken, you used, you used the process, really, that we put up on the whiteboard uh, to think through and talk through the philosophy of the approach and, and uh, the, uh, really, to really think through how we would do it. And so uh, there was the what uh, and the how and the why. And so you could see the what up on the board and the how and the why was all the three days worth of conversation for uh, how to approach this. And it, uh, uh, well, you continue and you can talk about the results, which are phenomenal. Before really launching the transformation process, um, 
one of the things that Bill and I decided to do was to make sure that we could build some trust um, in the Papetti organization, from in the Papetti operations organization. So it was it was critical for me to partner with the VP of operations on the Papetti side, but partner in a way that I was not going to be the big bad corporate guy coming in and and changing the organization and just putting all of my people into their into their side of the business. So there was some time spent. I'm gonna. If I remember right, it was probably uh, three months that we spent, uh, that I spent trying to build that trust on the Papetti side before we launched the, the continuous improvement process, the transformation process within operation, which was uh, called the Operations Council. And so um, we launched that Operations Council, which was cross-functional teams and cross-location teams within the Pipetti and Walbaum division across nine plants. Even though it was on the whiteboard, we, we had the key leaders in both division participate in, in building the vision and the strategy um, of that process to integrate the two, two divisions. Significant focus as we launched this process was uh, developing a leadership or, or launching a develop, um, leadership development process that would train um, and develop the leaders of both organizations, not only from the Pipetti side, but even on the MG Wallbaum side. So that development was done side by side. In other words, we didn't just focus on the Pipettis. The development was on both sides where both um, key leaders were participating in that development um, and that transition. Um, at that time, um, as we started to launch that process, I hired two key leaders from Nabisco who were familiar with continuous improvement process and team building. And, and one was put on the MG Wombaum side and one was put also on the Papetti side. So I had two key leader influencers in the process that made a significant difference in driving results over the two, div two divisions. Over three years, we delivered over $35 million in productivity savings that went to the bottom line. Um, those were hard results. And what was key was creating a financial measurement system that was bulletproof, not only from uh, the Papetti side, but also from the corporate Michael Foods side. Um, um, it was extremely important to have that measurement process in, in place and drive and, and showing the hard results that we could defend to anybody that would try to uh, question those results as being um, overinflated. Um, after two years, in the process, Michael Foods um, um, sold the, we changed the private equity firm, it sold to a new private equity firm. And at that time, uh, the Pipetti side um, was, um, I wanna say bought out. So they cashed out um, their portion of what they owned within Michael Foods. And there was a significant leadership change at that time. 
um, where my counterpart left the company um, and I assumed the responsibility of all ten plant, nine plants at that time. Um, the significance of that was it was important for, uh, for me as a leader now of the entire operations organization to not change the course of what we were doing. We were driving significant results from a financial standpoint. There were significant results on the soft side to develop the leadership in both organizations. And what was important for, um, for me as Bill, Bill continued to coach me was to not change all of a sudden the process in which we were, um, uh, the transformation process that were we taking on. I think that was a significant, uh, I know that was a significant key step in, in um, for us to continue to drive the results now in one egg division. So we continue to drive synergy productivity across the nine plants. I'll end with that message in the sense that it was important to stay consistent as a leader and to have the leaders in the, in the organization in both divisions as now as one to be consistent in what we were doing that we built over the last uh, 12 months to 18 months in the process. Um, the process was so, so um, impactful and successful that the president who hired me and now is now the president of the entire egg division um, decided to um, implement the change process or the transformation process across all of Michael Foods' egg division. So um, he took sales, marketing, HR, R&D, and the farm production, which we were a fully integrated um, company having chickens with um, producing the eggs all the way through uh, distributing the product. He took that entire organization and we launched the operations council um, across all of those additional functions in the company. It was a, another success story. Um, we drove an additional $45 million in, uh, in product, productivity savings in the three years um, that we did that uh, when I was with the, as long as I was with Michael Foods Egg Company. One individual that made the most significant change as we started this process in, in, in Michael Foods was actually the president of the egg division, uh, the person that launched this throughout the rest of the organization. He transitioned from a short-term thinking president, a very traditional way of thinking of how to run um, a company um, to more of a long-term thinking. And I'll give you an example. Um, we would have monthly operation or monthly um, leadership team meetings that was very focused on the previous month's results. As Bill caught on to this uh, new way of thinking. The plant manager you're talking about there. I mean, the uh, the president of the egg company, Bill Goucher. Yes, Bill. I'm sorry. Yeah, Bill Goucher, the president of the of the egg division, um, made that significant transition from short-term thinking into long-term thinking by he he he, he got away from the monthly results um, being the the only focus on the monthly meetings to focusing on more into what the long-term strategies and how those were being achieved to drive results long-term within the company. Ken, as I remember, you, you did that because 
you, you helped him focus on only spending a few minutes at the beginning of the meeting reviewing last month's numbers and all the rest of it had to be spent on the future. That's correct. Yeah. And so there, there was a, okay, Bill, you've got the president. Okay, Mr. President, you've got a few minutes to talk about last month's numbers and then everything else has to be focused on what we're doing going forward. And he, and he did that and his think, and thinking changed because of it. Well, and to, to further that example would be that the, the monthly meetings that were focused short term, um, the main focus was to be negative. So it was, it was a focus on the negative results and even the positive results, whether that be in operations or sales or marketing or HR, were not celebrated. Um, it was about taking the negative results and in a negative way, trying to turn those around. Um, um, and it wasn't a question of whether we had to turn them or no, it wasn't a question of trying to turn them around. It was, you have no choice. You had to make those negative results turn into a positive. So it was the, when we transitioned out of that, um, there was a significant transition into celebrating, um, celebra celebrating wins, successes. Uh, not only not only big successes, but but small successes. As you were talking about this uh, transition that that occurred, you you introduced this operations council, uh, and uh, that that increased the amount of coordination that was going on between all these different groups in manufacturing um, that had been occurring, or in your operations side of the business. And then you introduced some training, some leadership development training. What impact did that have on the behaviors of the people, both on the on the side, the actual produce side, the production side, and of the management of the folks? What did you see in terms of behavior change among people as as this council got going and the training began to take hold? There's a couple of things: enthusiasm and motivation, um, and, and those were driven by uh, they could see what's in it for them. Um, uh, you know, not only not only the th these are the soft results from a leadership development standpoint, but um, they were seeing themselves growing. They were not only seeing their team um, driving results; they were seeing individual leaders growing and themselves growing. And so, um, there was enthusiasm to learn more. There was enthusiasm to grow as leaders driven by the fact that they could see hard results. Um, I might've said this already, but um, there, was a, there was a great learning for me that you can drive all the soft results and soft results meaning that you can see people developing, you can see teams working together. And, and I got caught up in, in thinking that was the best thing since sliced bread. But if you don't have the hard results to match up with those soft results, it really didn't mean anything. And for me to learn that and then trans transfer that learning to the rest of the key leaders in the organization was really significant. Because after I went through the transition of learning the soft results weren't gonna, weren't gonna get me promotions or weren't gonna get me more money in my paycheck, I had to accept that uh, myself that the hard results were equally, if not more important, um, and then transferring that same learnings on to the rest of the key 
rest of the leaders in the aid division. It's great that we all feel good about this, but if we don't make money, then uh, it doesn't really count. Yeah, to, to that point, but one other thing to add was we we strategize quite a bit of how to involve actually some key leaders in the rest of the organization. So, so how do we get the president of the aid company to participate um, without participate to some level, but without trying to overmanage um, what we were trying to do. In other words, looking over my shoulder um, and trying to influence the process in a different way, in a more micromanaging way. You know, it seems very significant, too, that you you got the president to begin to take this longer term perspective and really emphasize that. Uh, because I can imagine that must have helped create uh, more, um, you know, a higher level of involvement and engagement in the day-to-day activities of greater expansion of effort and focus by the, the level below him. I mean, they were now being freed up to do things that he formally was kind of looking over their shoulder on. That's exactly right, Steve. I mean, and they they, they began to see that their voice was being heard and their actions were being recognized. Um, so that, that was significant. I mean, in, in the traditional way of thinking, the people you know, below the top of the organization would always feel that they're, they're not contributing to the company because they're not being listened to, and they're not, they're not feel that they're participating in it, in, and they're just doing their everyday job. One of the things that, that I noticed, uh that happened uh, with the operations council is that when uh, Ken moved it up, up to it and became the you know, the, oper- the process for the corporation, is that the functional groups like uh, finance and HR, who uh, had been helpful and small, uh, helpful in ways, especially with the, the papetis and in, in helping figure out how to how to have a uh, a uh, um, the, the financial measures that people would believe they had to be, in, they were involved in it. So don't just, Kim was saying, don't just look down and judge me, come down here and help me figure out how to do this. And they did. Uh, and then, so the sense they helped invent it, they were, they were part of it. But also the operations council for the, for the functional organizations became the place to be. So people would show up at these meetings just because they that way that was where you could find out what was really going on in the company. If you missed one of those, you didn't really know what was going on in the company. Said so finance people and HR people, other folks that would show up at, uh, and uh, want to know what was happening in the HR in the uh, operations council just just uh, just so they could be part of what was going on, and so they could, they could know because decisions were being made in real time there that really affected the the uh, the future of the company, and people want to be involved in that. I didn't. I did want to mention something else before we get off of that completely, and that's the the magic. I think with the Papetis, where you started with this, Ken. Uh, the the Papetti family had been in business for a long time. They were a New Jersey-based company who sold a lot of eggs to small markets in New York City. So they had the Teamsters, and they had the all the unions that were involved in there, and uh, Mr. Papetti, the the, uh, the old man, was a very tough uh, leader, very very 
very, very, very tough in a real in a, in a tough environment as well in uh, New Jersey, New York. Uh, he could really hold his own. And so his management style essentially was to show up in the morning, like just probably just the same way his dad had done, and tell everybody what to do. So everybody showed up, and he would tell them what to do for the day, and they'd go do it. And uh, the next day they'd show up, and if he hadn't done it, then he'd be he'd be all over him, literally. So the that was the 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 um, management style that. Um, Ken was walking into for this uh, this significant egg business. Now, being a, in a, a traditional Italian family, the approach of the operations council, I think, really meant really really worked because Ken, the, the magic ingredient there was respect, and showed the Papetti family, including the young Papetti, who was pretty frankly pretty nervous about taking over his you know that role from his uh, from his dad uh, in the company and showing him a different way but showing him with great respect uh, and started out with a meeting with remember remember Ken they were sitting they were all sitting on one side of the table and the and the, and the Michael Foods guys were sitting on the other side of the table it looked like the worst kind of union negotiations you could have I think we had 25 um, participants um, 25 key leaders, and it was really split in half. It's almost like 12, 12 key leaders on the Papetti side, 12 key leaders on the MG Wambam side. I mean, it was, without exaggeration, one side of the table was, it was like a union negotiation. And, and actually, we, we wanted it to start that way. Uh, we knew it would start that way, I should say. Um, and, and what we did in order to break that up, we changed the table from being a rectangular setup to more of a U-shape, U-shape or circular setup. So, so, and and we and we then intermixed the key the leaders from one division in with another. So, I mean, and this was the again the kickoff for for the transformation process. Um, we created the. Um, environment, I guess you can say, just even in the room to um, create teamwork. Yeah, the all the exercises that were done and the the, the work that was done on the whiteboards and cross-functional te- the teams were all cross-functional between the two companies. And uh, and then when they broke, they broke into roundtables to talk with to to talk with each other. So uh, and and to work off of uh, off of the whiteboard. And so, um, but the respect that you showed for the Papetti family, real, I mean, it, it was uh, it was a way to show that you and the corporate organization really respected them as individuals and what they had built and what they'd accomplished. And they really felt that. They came in expecting that they were going to get treated like, really like second-class citizens when they didn't know what they were doing. And, you know, and uh, these guys from, Minneapolis were going to come in and fix them, right? And uh, and uh, that was the opposite of what happened in there. And I think it all, as an aside, I think it also helped that right across from the Papetti plant was this long, probably four-story building that was it looked like it was about <laughs> three hundred yards long, uh, and. Uh, 
it was the old Singer factory making Singer sewing machines. One of the and where they one of the original Singer factories uh, in New Jersey, and uh, it was it was abandoned now. I mean, they, they closed down production there, but it was like a symbol of the old way. Of yeah, that's right. The, of the manufacturing of, of the production as it was, right? And so these guys in the shadow of that almost, but certainly they could see it right, right, right across the right across the fields was this huge building, and that they lived with, grown up all that time, and they were creating the new way for their company to work, and uh, it worked out extremely well. I think that that the the uh, the young the young Mr. Papetti. Uh, turned out to be a significant change uh, agent and was very successful in the eyes of his family for what he had, he had done uh, to get them from the sale through the process and then they made it and they they did extremely well during when the at the turn with the uh, with the buyout so all in all it, it lended quite well but it was built on a foundation of respect uh, and I think that's what more than anything that carried today. And uh, with uh, with them from the beginning, even today, just to kind of um, uh, even today in 2020, there's some form of that operations council still yep. uh, being used in Michael Foods and Michael Foods. At the time I joined the company, it was a seven hundred million dollar top line company. It's now well over two billion dollars. And that process is still in place to some degree within the organization. And that's, that's how powerful the transformation process worked uh, and continued to be used. Well, the, the HR leader for Michael Foods, a friend of yours, actually picked it up inside and uh, built the leadership and the foundations for the company uh, uh, out of that foundation that he learned going through the process with you. Yep. It sounds like a good three days at the whiteboard uh, to achieve uh, all these uh, remarkable things during that period of time and then to have it see the longevity of it uh, uh, today. So from Michael Foods, you go to Columbus. Uh, and again, you're, you're uh, the vice president of operations there. Tell us about Columbus, the situation and, and what you uh, did there and how you took some of your learning from Michael Foods and Nabisco and applied it to Columbus. Columbus uh, was or is a um, salami and deli meat um, company. Um, at the time that I joined the company, it was very operations focused. Um, however, it was um, it was 80% owned by a private equity firm and 20% owned by the family, by a family. The 20% Family was the original family that um, the private equity firm bought um, the company from. At Columbus, all other functions of the company had been transitioned away from uh, from being a family-run business. So transformation had already taken place to some degree in all other functions except operations. And the reason was that was because uh, the 20% was uh, the was mainly the lead. There were leaders still in the in the operations team, so I was I was specifically hired because of my experience at Michael Foods, working 
um, within a family run company. And my task was to go in there and uh, transition or transform the operations team from a family run business into uh, a business that the rest of the organization was, was operating under. So it was extremely important when I first joined the company that um, I really, for me to do the same thing that I really did at Michael Fuge was to focus on respecting um, uh, those members that were still part of the family within operations and building the trust um, so that a transformation process could have chance to be successful. The CEO was that hired me was so focused on that. He even told me that I would spend the first six months um, with no responsibility at all within the company. And I looked at him like, you mean I'm not supposed to make any decisions? I'm not supposed to have anybody report to me for six months? And he said, yes. Um, because he, and the reason why he did that, he felt that it was important for me as the operations leader to um, not only learn the business and learn about how to produce salami and deli meat, but also to build the trust within the organization so that, um, again, I wasn't a big, bad corporate guy trying to kick out all the family leaders and or the family practices. Um, Fortunately, some circumstances happened from a food safety standpoint that it wasn't six months, it was three months where I, the situation was right for me to, to um, ask the CEO if I could assume responsibilities right away to um, create changes um, to fix some uh, food safety issues that was in one of the uh, three plants. At that time, there was that was enough time as well as uh, the results of, I'm gonna say fixing the quality of food safety issues within that one plant was significant to build the trust and credibility uh, for myself within the rest of the Columbus organization. So the number, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit in terms of what the high priority of uh, was at Columbus was, uh, being a family-run business and, and again, having a high influence in the operation team, the number one focus and, and almost the primary focus was to satisfy the customers. It was pretty much a traditional way of approaching how to run a company, which was we do everything we can to make the customer happy, no matter how much it cost, no matter how much pain it created through the organization, no matter what hoops we had to run through or jump through, uh, to make it happen, we would do what it takes to sh to um, satisfy the customer. And so what was critical for, for me to do um, as the leader of ops was to create a vision and a strategy that was bigger than just satisfying the customer. Um, so the experiences and the practices that uh, and the learnings from, from Michael Foos were were significant to bring that in um, to not only uh, transform the leadership team, but again, to drive results, hard results within the operations team. So that's when I started another, um, again, an operations council process within, within uh, Columbus. 
um, cross-functional teams, cross-location, um, along product lines. So we started that um, process um, really in the same way that we did, again, repeating myself, as Michael Foods. Um, the results were, were positive. Um, the CEO, as well as the rest of the key leaders and the other functions of, of um, Columbus uh, were excited, enthusiastic, and motiv motivated over the results of what was being done in operations. Um, however, um, after, uh, let me pause for a second to make sure I got the timeline right. After two years of, of, of the transformation process, there was a significant change at the top of the of the company. So there was this. My boss, the CEO, was uh, transitioned out, and the new CEO came in um, to to run the company. Um, and and the the main reason, uh, the primary reason for that change of leadership, really was um, the private equity firm wanted a leader that was going to. Um, tr transition the company to um, be sold to uh, to prepare the company to sell uh, sell off the company because uh, the current private equity firm had owned the company for five years, and so it was time to to turn the company over, and so that's why they bring they brought this new leader in to um, create that change. Um, the new leader that came in was not a uh, proponent, was not a fan of continuous improvement process, utilizing team processes. Um, and so um, despite my, my, me trying to continue to run the operations council, it really wasn't going to go anywhere. And it was, it was really unsuccessful. I was... Um, I was kind of uh, going uphill all the time, and it was very steep. It was very difficult. So, so I had to slowly walk away from the operations council process or the transformation process, and 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 refocus again on just building capabilities within the operations leadership team. In in some instances, the the new leader, not some instances, I could say the loot. The new leader, the new CEO of, of Columbus was successful. The company sold within um, six months of him joining, six months and nine months of him joining the company and, and, and sold for a significant, uh, um, significant return on investment. Um, so another good learning is coming out of Columbus for me. Ken, let's, let's go ahead and, and talk about... Uh your fourth experience uh, at, at Boyd's and the situation they were facing and, and some of your learnings from that experience. So Boyd's Coffee Company is a company that uh, is or was located in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's a coffee company along with uh, dry blended products um, that is uh, focused um, significantly on, C, on the C stores, uh, the convenience stores. Um, so it was a um, again a new uh, food business that that um, I had to learn the the operations or the technical side of, uh, of that 
Um, it was also a family-run business. It was 100% owned by the family for 100 years. Uh, the CEO of Boyd's company was actually a former peer of mine within Columbus. Uh, and he he left Columbus and actually was the first um, hire, uh, first C, first leader of of Boyd's to be for, uh, to be a leader of the company outside the family. So he had significant challenges um, from a transit transformation standpoint. Uh, similar to Columbus, he was successful in transforming the rest of the organization except for oper operations. So uh, made significant strides in. Um, Having key leaders in the in the other in the other functions, um, so he 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 brought me in to transform um, the the operations team. E even though again the family was still owned 100% of the business, Th there were significant financial challenges of of Boyd's Coffee Company, um, not only from a uh, profitability standpoint year over year, um, but I think more so from a cash flow standpoint. The amount of, simplistically, the amount of money coming in was not enough for the money that was going out. Um, and so there was a, there was almost a daily practice of managing cash uh, to make sure to keep the company surviving. Uh, at the same time, the company was growing. The top line was growing uh, year over year, um, uh, but yet as the company was growing year over year uh, from a top line standpoint, the challenges from a cash flow standpoint continue to get, get more challenging. So my first focus when I get it, went, into the, went into the operations team was, uh, was to really focus on, on um, the leadership team, um, the op, my op staff. And, and creating the teamwork within that operations staff. That was, that was a learning that I brought from Michael Foods, from, uh, from Nabisco, and from Columbus. Once I felt that that um, development was in place, I, I, I launched the operations council, fully supported by the CEO, to drive a continuous improvement process to drive productivity savings. The, the, the CEO had already tried CI or continuous improvement process before within Boyd's and it was unsuccessful. It just didn't, uh, got off the ground, but never really drove the hard results. We, we were starting to drive um, some results within Boyd's. Um, however, the cash flow challenges were just too big to overcome. Um, and so we continue to fight that battle um, almost on a daily basis. And it was not only frustrating for me, but it was also frustrating for um, the teams that were in place to create the continuous improvement process. So after one year of, of, of starting the transformation process, Boyd's was on the market to sell the company. And so, um, when that process started, and we were very open with the rest of the organization, including our, our, our team members in the plant, that the company was up for sale, driving a 
continuous improvement process um, that is long-term focus wasn't really um, sitting well or did, doesn't sit well with the rest of the organization as they know that um, eventually, you know, the company is going to be sold. So um, we, we, we kind of put the continuous improvement process to the side and focus more on maintaining our day-to-day business of, of operating the, um, uh, the company. Uh, you've had significant experience now in the, the last three organizations we've talked about uh, with private equity firms and the financing and how it it uh, intrudes on on the long-term thinking uh, and uh, focuses on the financial results in the short term. In the beginning, it's fine, but later on, it can it can focus on the, uh, it, it can limit the thinking in terms of how how far out you get. But you were able to uh, to create uh, an environment in there where, as I remember at Boyd's, where the team, uh, especially your leadership team, were really working well together. And uh, they were constantly frustrated about not having the cash that they needed to do the things that they came up with, uh, even a little bit, right? I mean, they, and they, were, they were experts at getting along with practically nothing. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, they're getting along that way, but the improvements that they needed to make, the investment to do that, uh, uh, to to do that, just wasn't there. That that's very correct. Um, the learning at Boyd's, the key, the significant learning at Boyd's, compared to the the previous three companies of Nabisco, Michael Foods, and Columbus, all th- all the other three companies, I didn't have to worry about cash flow. There was somewhat call it deep pockets um, available to invest in the company. Whereas Boyd's, which was 100% family owned, there, there, was no, um, there, was no, there was no bank to go into. And so even to spend small amounts of money to improve um, something within operations was a challenge. And so it, w- it was just way too much to overcome. Well, and what was happening in the market at the time was that the coffee companies, uh, one by one, were, were being <clears throat> acquired by the larger companies. And so you were either Starbucks and started buying out your competitors like Seattle's Best Coffee and a whole bunch of others, uh, or uh, you were being sold to a, to a company. And in this case, uh, uh, in this case, Boyd's was acquired by another company. To add to, add to that point, um, Boyd's was sold to Farmer Brothers. It, it was a successful transition because what happened, and, I'll, and I relate that to leadership, is that uh, Farmer Brothers bought Boyd's Coffee Company, but uh, didn't buy uh, the plant, uh, didn't buy the people. Um, so the manufacturing or the plant in Portland was shut down. And, and everyone knew that. So we went into a transition of, of transitioning the business from Boyd's to Farmer Brothers. And all of us knew that, or the majority of us knew we didn't have a job, not only from the top, but also down at the uh, plant level, um, they knew they didn't have a job. And so what was significant about that is that that created challenges within the organization, within the Boyd's organization, 
to make sure that we did our job or our focus to transition out of Boyd's Coffee to Farmer Brothers. And, and because of the work that we did to develop the leadership team in the operations side, it built a foundation that for me to coordinate and lead the effort on the Boyd side of essentially working ourselves out of a job was actually a success. Um, and it was a positive result, um, in, only in the sense that um, we did it, we took the high ground, we did it in a way that um, we, we, could pride, proud our, uh, we could be proud of how we did it. We did it in a way that we were one team from a Boyd's operations side. And, and it was obvious to the farmers uh, organization. A, a number of people uh, uh, in key positions did get you get take jobs with Farmer Brothers. Yeah, only a few in operations. Yeah, a lot, uh, several in sales. Yeah, and uh, for a lot, number of them, it would have been a, it would have been a move from Portland, Oregon, down to Texas. Many of them didn't want to do it anyhow. But there were uh, some really great people there that had been there a long time. And you were able in operations to keep the place, because of the leadership team, to keep the operations running through the commitment. And I remember they kept, well, one of the things that happened is that the acquiring organization, in this case farmers, kept adding additional demand into your plant as it was shutting down. And you guys were able to deliver on that as well. That's correct. So they kept so even as though they're shutting the plant down, they and the the brand was growing, and so they they kept wanting you to produce more while you were in the process of closing it up, which I thought and you were able to do that, which I thought was phenomenal. Uh, and so you closed with a lot of goodwill, at, in the in the process at the time, and in, 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 including among your team uh, at the plant uh, at the same time. Very well done. There, there seems to be a consistent theme through a lot of uh, all, all, all the stories that you've told so far, you know, around this uh, importance of trust and respect, developing the leadership. As you sort of reflect back on your career and the successes and maybe the things that didn't go the way that you had hoped in terms of the transitions, what would you say are the key lessons, the things that really stand out for you, the key lessons about leading a transformational change process. So, so the, I'm going to start with, uh, with what you've heard me say over, over the last, you know, covering the four companies is that leadership in all aspects were significantly important. And I'll touch on each aspect and how that is. Is that First is in the successful um, ones where the transformation process not only from a, from a soft result, from really from a hard results uh, standpoint, um, was having support from the top of the organization. There, that was that was significant because I didn't have to worry about somebody looking over my shoulder and micromanaging uh, what was being done in operations, as long as I was driving the results. And so, um, having that top support at the CEO or slash president level of the organization was was very impactful. Uh, on the on the flip side, from an experience standpoint, um, not having the support of at, at the top of the organization 
is significant where um, trying to drive change or a transformation process um, is extremely difficult and challenging um, when the organization, when the rest of the organization is not accepting it or not supporting it. And that was obviously experienced at Columbus. Um, and um, you, you have to make hard decisions to walk away or find a new way to, to drive results. And so another, another um, part of leadership is from a development standpoint. As I started in Nabisco, for me, always to continuously learn and to grow as a leader was important for me to um, transfer that same concept into onto the rest of the leaders of the organization and all in all four of the companies I work for. So um, continuous education of the leaders. And it was almost like it was a continuous improvement process inside of the continuous improvement process. So in order to drive hard and soft results, we had to continue to develop the leaders on a daily and weekly and monthly and yearly basis. It was important to leverage their strength and um, to build on their weaknesses. Then the fourth point from a leadership standpoint would be having the right leaders in the right seat of the bus. I learned the hard way that you know you can continue to develop leaders, but at some point there are some leaders that are not going to get it. And so there had to be times, or there were times, I should say, when hard decisions had to be made um, to change out leadership, uh, change out the leaders. And, and that was probably one of the more difficult things to do um, because you can, <laughs> I always felt that I was um, this great teacher and this great leader that can change anything. And I learned that was not the case. <laughs> and so another another learning um, lessons learned was celebrating successes um, on a continued basis. I always thought, well, yeah, that that's that's a simple thing to understand. I mean, of course, you celebrate, you got celebrate the wins, but but I thought you celebrate the big wins. But it wasn't only celebrating the big wins; it was celebrating the small wins, and it's, and especially um, at the beginning of driving a transformation change process, celebrating the small wins were significant because you aren't going to get big wins when you start a process. And, and that was, I mean, even though that sounds like common sense, um, it really wasn't for me. And so I had to learn the hard way and, and um, um, it, it was important. And which then I think I said it earlier was it drove, it drove enthusiasm. It drove motivation. It drove a sense of ownership as we celebrated small and large successes within the transformation processes. And I'm going to add to that on the successes was being creative with those successes. You know, what are we celebrating? Is it all monetary or is it just or is it just buying donuts for a team or for, for, for teams? I mean, so it was a wide spectrum and, and, and finding creative ways to celebrate those successes. Um, the other, the last two things of learnings was 
um, hard results versus soft results. With, with the teachings and the learnings that I got from my past experiences before Nabisco, as well as working with Bill and his associates within the Belgard organization, I, I was very much uh, enthusiastic on driving the soft results, in other words, driving leadership development. And, and I got, um, I guess you can say, um, overzealous with it um, to the point where um, thinking that was enough. When, and I mentioned earlier, you have, to have, you have to have the hard results that go along with it. Otherwise, transformation processes aren't going to be successful or looked at as being successful, you have to have that. Um, and have to have the measurement process um, in place to do that. And one of the key um, things to do that was to, in each of the transformation process I, I drove, I found the right financial leaders within the organization, even though they didn't report to me, um, to be to be part of the transformation process. In other words, they were they were team members within the within the process, and it was it was important to have those financial leaders participating. And going back to Michael Foods, each Michael Foods teams, and there were there were five teams at Michael Foods. Each of them had a financial leader that were participating in the teams. So that was critical um, from a standpoint. And then the final uh, learning was to create for each of the um, change processes, um, the vision and the strategy um, up front. People or team members needed to see where we were going, um, what's in it, what's in it for them, and what's in it for their teams. And so um, the vision and the strategy um, was critical to have it from the beginning and not done halfway through the process. Everyone needed to know where we were going. And, and what that did was um, it really showed that we were going to walk the talk and we were going to be consistent from a leadership standpoint to um, continue with a process that was going to um, drive results, both hard and soft, um, for the company. That's a that's a great list, Ken. One of the things that uh, we had briefly discussed uh, in, in sort of our pre-interview uh, talk uh, that I thought was really interesting, I'd like you to maybe just speak to for a moment, was this idea that when you're trying to transform an organization, timing is really critical. Could you just talk a little bit about what you meant by that exactly and, and why it is so important around getting the timing right? I'll use Michael Foods and uh, Columbus as examples. Um, um, and so, so Michael Foods, the um, spending the 12 months um, as the VP of operation at, at MG Wahlbaum and building leadership capabilities and building teamwork within the MG Wallbaum was critical to um, going into the transformation process to integrate to two divisions. So if, if, if I had started to integrate the two divisions at Michael Foods one month after I started the company, 
it would have failed. No doubt about it, because I wouldn't have even had the, the respect and the trust of my own operations staff, let alone the Papetti's uh, operations staff. And so um, it was the timing was critical. Um, th then you then you move into that that three months that I spent um, building the respect and trust with the, uh, my counterpart at Papetti's, um, who was the VP of operations. Um, that was uh, you, you take the flip side. If I had walked over there and and um, walked over, if I'd gone over to the East Coast and just said, "Here, hey, my name's Ken Nation." You know, we're going to start. We're going to start a change process. They probably would have put me on the next plane back to the Midwest um, because it wouldn't have worked. I would have done the same thing that everybody else, uh, that others had tried at Michael Foos to do that. Then, then just the other example would be at Columbus. That even despite the fact that I didn't agree with the CEO of me not doing anything for six months and not having responsibility, he knew what he was doing. He knew he was he was he was setting me up in in a positive way for me to be um, um, to build the trust, the respect and the trust um, again within the operations team, but also within the rest of the uh, Columbus organization. Um, so, again, that timing of when was the right time to um, really create that transformation process and launch it was critical at Columbus, not only from, again, not, not only from the entire um, leadership team at Columbus, but also from those family members that were still um, operating and uh, participating in the operations team. That's, I think that's really a great answer. And, and, you know, really talks to the, the, the importance of, of, uh, there is a time when it's going to be more effective and a time when it probably may not even work. Uh, and you're basically trying to do the same thing, but the timing is such a critical element. Uh, last question I have here, uh, Ken, is what advice would you give an executive that's looking to transform his or her organization based on your, your experiences? Uh, it's good. So it's good. It's going to be somewhat repetitive, but um, of what I've talked about uh, with all the other experiences. But I think at the top of the list would be building trust. Um, building trust um, as an individual leader, um, and 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 at the right time, once that trust is on the right path, is building the trust within the team and the team leaders. Um, and so in every transformation process that I took on, that part of the equation, I'm going to say, or that part of that aspect of it was critically important um, in order for the rest of the organization or the organization to look up to me and follow uh, where we needed to go. The, se the second advice is that part about is assessing uh, the leadership capabilities within your organization. And that needs to be from the very beginning. Don't just walk in there and think that you have a process or a written process in a book. Um, and you just open that book up and hand it out to everybody. Um, you make sure that you assess the leaders that report to you, the leaders that are influencing the organization 
um, that the transformation process that takes place and making sure you understand their strengths and weaknesses. And then, as mentioned before, make, um, having the ability to make tough decisions um, to get the right people in the right seat of the bus. And not implementing that um, myself, but having the key leaders make their decisions on their leaders because you know there's a, there's a pyramid effect here, and so they've got they've got to be able to have the ability to make their hard decisions of having the right leaders um, in the right seat um, in their organization at the lower level. Another another. Uh, thing would be making sure you have solid support uh, throughout the organization, especially at the top. I think I've talked enough about that uh, to emphasize that having support at the top of the leadership organization is is important um, to drive a successful transformation process. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is to um, stay humble, um, whether you're at the beginning or well into the process where results are being driven is being a humble leader through that. And, and um, this is a quote that uh, the Mr. Belgard, Bill Belgard taught me um, as we were going gangbusters at Michael Foods. Um, and uh, prior to the uh, president of Michael Foods, Bill Goucher, um, implementing the transformation process into the rest of the organization at, at Michael Foods. Bill, well, actually, I was beginning to, um, uh, I, I'm going to put it in my words, and Bill probably could put it in better words, but getting a big head, I was beginning to think that I could walk on water. And um, Bill told me on the phone, he says, don't read your own press. It took me a while to digest what he was saying, um, even on the phone, but even I had to get off the phone and, and think about that. Don't read your own press. And that goes back to being a humble leader. It was uh, probably, um, for me as an individual, it was probably the most significant learning I had in the, in the, in the process. At, at that time, the, the president of the company had not yet come along. Uh, but you were doing so well, and I think it was your hum your humility in the process and your willingness to share everything with it that allowed him to to take it on and do it himself across the organization. And to then to say when he was when he was retiring that he wished he'd known about this thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, yes, he and yes, it's, that's it's a success. Uh, in the way you were having it and had it, uh, if you, uh, one who remains humble during that process is able to influence others in a much more powerful way. Well, to your point, I mean, that, that president was probably 40 years into his career when he made that transformation change as a leader. So he, I mean, he, and he was... Talk about traditional old way of thinking. He was, um, it was that way. I mean, just a quick example there was that those monthly meetings were, were not only focused on short-term results, but it was a brow beating. I, I, I'd walk out of those meetings with my head between yeah. my legs. 
Yeah, it was that you you uh, you engendered a, a a great deal of respect from him, and then that changed that began to change his behavior. And he, he I think, he, but he found out he enjoyed his job a whole lot more at the end. And yeah, he did. And, yes, and, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And he was having a great time uh, do, doing this. He was a hero with the board too. And at one of those turns going forward, he. Uh, the, the, all everybody involved with that did extremely well because of the success that was had. There was a probably a billion dollar extra dollars on the bottom line uh, because of the work of the operations council across the company uh, and to, and their ability to work together and and uh, and build uh, and build that uh, the ability for the organization to operate to operate cross. In a, in a large, in large and small teams across the organization, and uh, that's a that's a testament to how it how it all started and the humility with which we did it. Ken, you are indeed a humble leader. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate the interview today. It was great. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have any questions or would like to speak with a transformation specialist, please contact us at info at Thanks for listening.